Welcome to the ninth episode of Kabbalistic Mystic, the podcast for the Western seeker, where we explore the tree of life and the ancient Hebrew wisdom as a map for psycho-spiritual development and self-realization. I'm your host, Ovadia Batat. Hebrew wisdom tells us that the body is a vessel which houses our soul for the duration of the incarnation. It's reflected into our illusory existence by the subconscious mind, and for most of us, perceived by our conscious mind as the border, the edge of our personified existence. But in reality, the body is nothing but a mirror of our own consciousness, a projection with which we see ourselves and express, animate our consciousness into the world. The body is the main way with which the subconscious speaks to us. In this episode, we'll talk about what this means and how can the body be used as a powerful tool for our psycho-spiritual development. We'll also talk about our physical differences. Why are some of us heavy, some skinny, short or tall, muscular, frail? We'll talk about dis-ease and what we can do about it and how limitations in the body can be related to our journey and our purpose. All right, let's begin. Whenever I go on a meditation retreat, I'm always amazed how small is the amount of people who also do yoga. I'm making a big generalization here, but the vast majority of meditators are physically docile. The body type of the average Western meditator is stiff. It's not flexible. The opposite can be seen at yoga retreats. The amount of people who are actual dedicated meditators is usually very small. That is, the community of yogis, yoga-practicing people, that is asana, and the community of meditators in the West, are two separate communities. I know two yoga teachers closely who have a hard time sitting for more than five minutes. It's like there's this um, indiv- invisible division between the two worlds here in the West. The retreats are very different, too. Meditation retreats are usually very affordable, Often there's uh, no emphasis on location or logistics, but yoga retreats, they're all about amenities, all about satisfying the appetites of the body, the locations, the room, the comfort, the organic fresh food. In short, they are all about the body. As such, they're also much more expensive usually. Now, how do we transform ourselves? We don't know this to be true, but most Buddha statues show him as a man with a big fat belly. He transformed himself through meditation. He sat under a tree for days until he became enlightened. In the West, many meditators will tell you that there's only one way to the divine through the transformation of the mind. However, many yoga teachers in the West will tell you that without the asana, that is the physical practice, which is the prepping of the body for the ascending energy, nothing can be done. Who is right? Both of them are. It's the classic argument between the mystic and the alchemist. The mystic works to transform the mind and ascend to the divine. The alchemist works to transform the body so he or she can bring the divine to earth. In reality, all roads lead to Rome. It's like uh, two people walking around the planet. One is going east, one is going west, but they'll eventually reach the same point. At the end of the day, both the mind and the body need to be transformed. One is a reflection of the other. You cannot transform the body without impacting the mind. And you cannot transform the mind without impacting the body. The body has a major role in the transformation of the psyche. That is, the ego dissolution and reducing our mental and emotional suffering. And to understand this connection between the body and the mind, let's recap a concept we've discussed in episode 4 titled, How the Mind Works. I'm going to say this very clearly, even though that for some of you it might sound kind of out, out there. But your body doesn't really exist. It's an illusion. It's a manifestation of the mind. 
So is the entire universe. But in this particular episode, I want to focus on the body. The body is nothing but a reflection of your current state of consciousness, of the unique personality that is reflected in this specific incarnation. The way your body looks and feels, as well as the vast majority of the dis-ease, bodily injury, limitations, achievements, or any other physical condition you embody, whether positive or negative, to your, to your taste, is a direct reflection of your individualized consciousness and ego personality. It's impacted by a complex set of circumstances and limitations determined by you and your higher self prior and during the incarnation and is designed to teach you the lessons which you must learn. Your hereditary physical features are also a reflection of consciousness, the part of the collective consciousness that is shared with your ancestors. It is a piece of who you are in this incarnation and a piece of the intricate puzzle of your own unique, carefully crafted and tailored journey to glory. Consider this. You're about to undergo surgery. So you get a shot which numbs the entire lower portion of your body. The doctor is cutting into it, and yet you feel nothing. Nothing. In other words, you have no conscious mental perception of the physical change in your body. That is, no physical sensation is possible without the involvement of the mind. Our entire reality is perceived by the mind. You perceive the edges of your body because you have senses, which are nothing but tools with which the mind uses to construct the illusion of the environment. For everything to exist, we must have conscious awareness of it. Our body is a reflection of our consciousness, and it is manufactured per perfectly at any given second by our subconscious, the feminine part of our individualized mind. As such, she's responsible to control it. She runs it like a tight ship. Every involuntary organ is under her control, and she does a perfect job. If they are dysfunctional, it's usually because she chooses so, and she might do it for many, many reasons, which we'll discuss. You do not need to think of your heart. It just beats. You don't need to think of the functions of your spleen, your kidneys, your liver. They just work. She makes them work, your subconscious, which means you make them work with your, with your subconscious, that is, without conscious awareness. But the subconscious, or the empress in tarot, does not control the body in full. She controls the involuntary organs, but not the voluntary ones, which are the ones which animate the body. Hands to grab and create, legs to move and run, mouth to speak. Those are under the direct control of the masculine portion of our mind, that is, the conscious mind. The masculine portion has the willpower. It decides where to go and what we'll do. And so the subconscious mind must comply. And if you choose to eat fast food every day, she must let you. But she might slowly and carefully develop dis-ease, that is disease, to let you know you're off track. Now in reality, some of the physical conditions we undergo are random due to external events. There is free will, and if someone chooses to hurt us, we are hurt. But we can say that a mindful seeker will be more in tune with his or her intuition, and therefore will have an easier time, somewhat of an easier time, avoiding getting hurt by external circumstances or accidents. So the more conscious we are, with more ease the subconscious mind is communicating with us using the body as a mirror of our consciousness. She's really showing us what needs alignment in our mental realm. Now, the feminine, remember, is always abstract. She doesn't talk to us directly. She cannot. She instead does it metaphorically and with the use of symbols. She's doing it using the shape of our body, its form, its dis-ease, and with emotions, which are always physical sensations. 
We won't focus on emotions in this episode. I would like to focus on the body instead and to start with the way we look. So I invite you to look in the mirror. What do you like about your body? What do you dislike about it? Most of us have at least a few things that, we're, that we would like to change. Maybe we want uh, longer, thicker hair. Maybe we want to be taller, lighter complexion, bigger muscles, smaller chest, smaller ears, longer eyelashes. There's always something. Now, assuming that we are unscathed, the way we look is a result of a complex balance between various pre-incarnative decisions and pre-established limitations our ancestral gene pool, and a metaphoric representation of our own unique individualized personality. In other words, the way we look is a direct reflection of our consciousness, which means that everything we, we like about the way we look is reflecting something we perceive as good within us, and everything we dislike about our body is a reflection of something we dislike about our own personality. Here's a couple of small examples. I used to hate my hair, the hair that I had on my legs. It was to the point that in my youth, I would keep my socks on when I would uh, make love to my girlfriend. During my transformational journey, I realized that I was disconnected from my own masculinity. And after doing a lot of work in this area, I suddenly noticed that I no longer dislike my hairy legs. In fact, I now like them. It makes me feel masculine, which is a part of me that I'm now very in touch with. Another example, I used to hate my hair. Um, that is the hair on my, on my head. I always wanted to be blonde, to have uh, smooth, wavy hair, not this coarse, curly, thick Middle Eastern hair. And during my transformational journey, I had a period with which I reconnected with the roots that I have deserted, and learned to love who I was, an Israeli, a descendant of Arab, Arab Jews. I learned to embrace myself as a Middle Easterner. And with it, the love for my hair came. The funny thing is, once I, you know, all throughout my life, I couldn't quite figure out what my haircut should be, how to do my hair. Like, it was kind of a lifelong struggle. The second I connected with my roots, it's so easy for me to deal with my hair. It just I just know what to do with it. And it looks good, or at least in my eyes. That is the reflection, the mirror that I see or that I feel when it comes to my hair or anything else with my, with my facial expression or general looks is a direct reflection of what I like and, or dislike about myself. We are not attractive because we are objectively attractive. We're found to be attractive when we are subjectively feeling attractive about ourselves. We then project a magnetism that is absolutely irresistible. It's very hard for somebody who dislikes themselves to feel attractive. The more we learn to love who we are, all of us, with the shadow part, the heritage, the hidden polarity, the more we love our body. Nothing really changes. We still have the same features for the most part. We might lose some weight or gain some muscle mass, but the features are still what they are. We learn to love them. We no longer see flaws when we look in the mirror because we love the reflection of the psyche that is in front of us. Every organ or feature is a reflection of a conscious or subconscious association we have with it or what it means to have it. That perception has changed when we learned to self-love, and with it, the love to our body comes. Everything in your body that you dislike is a reflection of a piece of your personality that you want to change. You can either change it, or in most cases, need to learn to love it. The love for your body will follow.
as a kid, I dreaded physical education classes. I had a good reason. I was suffering from asthma, severe asthma, severe allergies, and many other ailments. I was very weak. I was skinny. I was fragile. Running, exercising, swimming, these were all activities for normal kids who were healthy. I always felt that I was just delivered a bad hand, bad hand when it came to, when it came to my body. And years and years later, I met my wife, who was a physical transformation junkie in my eyes. She was a yoga teacher and was obsessed with physical health. And I remember one day when we sat at the kitchen table and she told me, you could feel so good in your body if you just let me try and help you. I laughed. I remember I said, many have tried. I literally didn't believe that there was anything she could do. My motto was, I was in great shape for the shape I was. Aside from the asthma, constant allergies, I would sneeze every day so many times. Aside from the horrible skin eczema, I had a ruptured disc at the base of the neck as a result from a car accident. I was constantly constipated, bleeding when eliminating, and I was diagnosed with sleep apnea, which meant I, I was sleeping with a big mask that made me sound like Darth Vader. Now, for me, this was life. I always suffered, and so what was different? I spent my entire childhood in hospital rooms and breathing through inhalers and electric pumps. My defense was to live in my head so that I detach from the body and ignore the pain and ignore the discomfort. I basically detached myself from physical sensation. I learned to function despite the discomfort. And little I knew how much it was limiting my potential. But my wife saw it. And aside from seeing the liability, that is, which of course scared her since she knew I won't be getting any younger and the problems would just mount, she also saw my potential. She knew the power of physical transformation and was convinced I could get help. So I said yes to her generous offer to help me. Now, it's nine years later, and she calls me the most successful student recovery story she has ever witnessed. And I can tell you that she was right. I never thought I could feel this way. And let me give you a sense of my current condition. I'm 41 years old. I've never felt better in my life. I start my days early. I hop on my bike to ride to yoga. The ride includes a steep, long hill, which many, including my wife, try to avoid at all costs. I then practice Ashtanga Yoga, a rigorous breath-based practice for a little over an hour. And then I ride back home to eat breakfast. My body's lean, lean and fit. My asthma is almost completely gone. My allergies are reduced to minimum. My skin is smooth, no signs of eczema. My neck feels strong and healthy. My digestive system functions like clockwork. I use medication only on very, very rare occasions. I don't even use dietary supplements. I feel like I'm a healthy 20-year-old. In fact, the older I get, the younger I feel. And the question comes, how did I do it? And the answer is very simple, but it might disappoint you. I did it through hard work and a huge sacrifice. I had to learn to take care of my body, which I, have, which I had no idea how to do. I had to change my diet. I had to learn what is good for me and what I consumed and poisoned me. I had to overcome my fear of physical exercise and slowly and steadily wake up my body into being alive. And I worked very hard and busted my ass in order to gain every piece of progress. My journey is my own, and it is not over. Everyone's journey is different. And what was a solution for me will not necessarily be a solution for you. There are no shortcuts. There is no magic solution. The road is one and narrow and different for everyone. I have no magic or template solution to offer you. So why am I telling you all this? Because there is a piece of wisdom that I can offer. The body is a manifestation of the mind. And more often than not, you can heal it by working directly with your psycho-spiritual distortions, 
That is by connecting the dots between the physical condition and the psycho-spiritual piece of your consciousness that it is reflecting. In fact, in most cases, you will not know which piece causes what physical distortion until you healed it. And let me give you a great example. My allergies were very severe. I always joke that if I had a dollar for every sneeze I produced, I would be a millionaire by now. But the allergy I was scared of the most was a contact allergy. I was allergic to coniferous trees. So everything with perfume, which was made with coniferous tree oil, would cause my skin to swell and become red for days, itching, itching like crazy. This one time, I remember I got a full body massage in a hotel in Turkey and the tested oil I agreed to was swapped in the last minute. I could not sleep. I couldn't walk. I couldn't lay down. I couldn't sit for four days. It was literally 24-hour torture. I remember another occasion I made love to a woman who sprayed her breasts with perfume that I was allergic to. And a day later, I discovered two big red inflamed marks on my chest, like someone has attached two hot irons to it, and it itched for days. And the most direct and immediate allergic response was when I touched cedar, an oily coniferous tree. Now I do woodworking, so when I accidentally incorporated it into my woodworking a couple of times, the results were absolutely devastating. I spoke earlier about self-love, and as a part of my spiritual quest, I learned to love various pieces of myself. I remember a particular summer in which I've reached a tipping point. It was like I just liked who I was. It was that point of the in the transformation that I just, you know, it was just the tipping point. As my wife calls it, I became my own best friend. I learned to love my body, my heritage, my shadow. And most importantly, I forgive myself for some shady things I've done in the past. And we'll dedicate much more attention to forgiveness because it is so important. But here's the kick in this story. One day, I was working with cedar planks, fixing my yard fence, and I was wearing gloves to protect myself from the oil. But suddenly, I had the intuitive notion that I'm no longer allergic to it. So I tested it on myself. Days have passed, and my skin was intact. And and in, and in, fa- and in fa- fact, I, I can report that I'm officially no longer on trees. My allergy has completely disappeared. Now here's what Ra had to say about allergies. Allergies are quite misunderstood by your orthodox healers. The allergy may be seen to be the rejection upon a deep level of the mind complex of the environment of the self. Thus, the allergy may be seen in its pure form as the mental-slash-emotional distortion of the deeper self. End of quote. And so we see that allergies are directly connected to self-love. Now, okay, we get it. Allergies are, you know, essentially a rejection of the self. They're connected to self-love. But what's the connection between these coniferous trees and the lack of love that I had towards myself? Well, here's the deal. Ovadia is really my middle name. My first name is Erez, which means in Hebrew, cedar. I was named after a tree from the coniferous family. My subconscious has chosen to demonstrate the lack of love I had to myself and my heritage using an allergy to the family of trees I was named after. That's the metaphoric level with which the subconscious works. It is why I said that the journey is different for everyone. There is no good or bad. Someone who is heavy and looks overweight to others might love themselves and be completely okay with their weight. And so the excess weight will be representing the abundance that they have or the love that they have to share. So in fact, we have a yoga teacher in our community here who's overweight and is very inspirational to many. That is, it might be her journey, her dharma to be overweight so she can help and inspire others to love themselves despite of being overweight. For others, excess weight is something undesired and metaphorically reflects a part of their consciousness. For example, one might be overweight because they feel neglected and unnoticed. And so if they're big, they might be noticed. 
I remember we had a cat who was very fat and we couldn't understand why she wasn't eating that much. She was just fat all these years. And at some point, uh, you know, I realized that we don't really pay a lot of attention to her. And that was because she was such a bitch. She just, she was just like a grumpy old woman. She didn't want to be held. She didn't want to be touched. You know, it was just, she was making it really hard to love her. So we started giving her extra attention. We would take her to be groomed and we would give her treats. Even though that she was fat, we gave her, we started giving her treats. And lo and behold, she started losing weight. And so her weight gain, the fact that she was so big, is because she wanted to be noticed. She wanted to be loved. Some might be overweight because of excess consumption of particular emotional hunger they have. The possibilities are endless. It's what resonates with you that counts because it is your subconscious that is metaphorically reflecting your body to give you a particular message. Now, let me share another example which might give you an idea of how a seeker can work with this correlation between the mind and the body in the metaphoric sense. One of my own personal issues is discipline and perseverance. I kind of crumble in the face of challenge. I change my mind easily. I see something is a little bit difficult. There's an issue. There's a hurdle. There's an obstacle. I just go ahead and change my mind. And you have no idea how many times I thought to drop this particular podcast. Well, I have no listeners. Who wants to hear that crap? Etc. Etc. And so I get an excited about an idea only to desert it when things get difficult and challenging, when I'm supposed to show up for the mundane and hard work. Now, I've asked for this problem to be solved in my prayers, my meditations, my visualizations. I ask to be able to do my work with joy and not to feel like it's a chore. Nothing changed, but I did get an intuitive hint. Intuitive thoughts are those that appear out of nowhere without any thread of, of thought preceding them. And the intuitive notion was that this particular mental distortion has to do with my legs. Now, a little bit of background here. My legs and I are a very long story, but in short, I can tell you that they are, together with my lungs, the weakest links in my body. I grew up very sick, but over time, I've developed a strong upper body, although I was never able to make my legs strong. It had to do with, obviously, a significant aerobic exercise, which I was really afraid of because of my asthma. And so all my physical practices were impacted by this. I'm a lousy swimmer. My yoga practice is bottlenecked by my weak legs, etc. My legs are my bottleneck. In Kabbalah, legs reflect stability and strength. They reflect the bottom triangle, which is the seat of action. And I realized that in order to solve my issue with discipline and perseverance, I must dive into the task of making my legs stronger and embracing an aerobic exercise. So notice, it's not enough to just realize what is the mental distortion that the physical portion of the body reflects. You actually have to go through the experiential change to change the body so that the mental piece will change as well. And so I took on riding my bike to yoga, despite the steep hill that I mentioned earlier. And I got to tell you, within one week, the results were amazing. Within days, I felt a huge change in my actual work. I no longer felt that riding was a chore. I approached it with joy. I could feel the resistance to discipline melting away the more I rode my bike and the more my legs were stronger. And they were stronger by the day. With the legs being stronger, I, I was feeling that my willpower is getting stronger. The body is a reflection of the subconscious mind. You can heal the mind or you can heal the body. They are one and the same. Knowing this relationship will help you get there faster. Your transformation will accelerate exponentially over time. 
you will eventually feel no difference between your state of consciousness and the physical manifestation of your being. You'll be so acutely aware of every slight change in your physicality, and you will have more and more insight as to what it reflects in your psyche. The same condition can reflect different issues at different times. Miasma, for example, is what I called my moving catalyst. It comes back again and again as an indication or a new bar that I must set in my health. When it comes back, I know I have become more sensitive and it's time to eliminate yet another item from my diet. It's like a tool away from my subconscious to tell me I've become more sensitive because my body is pure. Your conditions are yours and could mean completely different things. And you must ask yourself what resonates with you. Here's another example. When I eat too much sugar, too, too much being a threshold, of course, which keeps getting lower and lower as I get cleaner, I get a strange rash at the side of my neck, exactly in the place where you will get a hickey. So I thought of it for a long time. Why there? Why is it that I get this rash exactly in that particular spot? Remember, nothing is an accident. And I reached the conclusion that sugar is sucking my energy and life force sort of like a vampire. It's exemplified by how I feel. It's exhilarating when you are bitten, or in this case, when I'm biting from the sugar. But after a few moments, when the sugar high is gone, I felt drained of energy. Now, this realization helped eliminate my desire to eat processed sugar, which is poison for my body. And now I see, when I see sugar, I can't think but on anything else but the life force that this candy or sugar confection will take away from me. It will be extremely presumptuous of me to say that I know anything about anybody else's journey but myself, even if they are a public figure. But I do found it, find it fascinating that a famous scientist who is... In with no doubt, one of the smartest people on the planet, at least when it comes to the mental abilities, has lost control over his entire body and is living entirely in his conscious mind. Now, the conscious mind, remember, is the masculine, the linear, the logical. Everything must make sense, which is the guiding principle of the quintessential scientist. Therefore, there must be a unified theory for everything, because everything is logical. Now, while I agree that there is a unified theory for everything, I also believe that this unified theory includes the requirement for chaos to exist, that is, for intuition to function, for things not to make sense, not to be logical. This is the feminine principle. It's reflected with our body, the same body that this scientist has lost control over. So, as I said... The feminine subconscious mind speaks with metaphor and enough said. What repeating illnesses and dis-ease do you have in your body? Document them, write them down, pick one, and set intention to heal it. Then pay attention. What does it symbolize in your body? What does it symbolize metaphorically? in your own consciousness. That's the reflection that I invite you to do in this episode. probably know by now, uh, just by listening to this episode, that I had my share of suffering, and it was definitely a fair share. Whoever had severe asthma in their lives know how horrible it is not to be able to breathe, to have the very life force taken away from you, to live under the shadow of not being able to take the next breath. It's as if there is an internal devil inside of you who chooses to choke you at random times. Your life itself is threatened. 
your muscles don't get enough oxygen. No wonder physical exercise is a holy grail for people with asthma. Now, my suffering is subjective, just like everybody else's suffering. I never had cancer, for example, knock on wood. It would be presumptuous of me to think about it as if I knew anything about it. I never lost a limb. There are many conditions and events in which our body is impacted, and the notion that it is a reflection of a wrinkle in our consciousness can be very disturbing. The concept of blame comes in. What have I done to deserve this? Nothing. No one deserves to suffer. That said, disease or injury can serve many invisible physical, mental, and social functions related to our life's journey. Maybe as a result of getting sick, we became closer with our partner who took care of us and helped us heal and taught us the lesson of what it means to fight for our lives. Maybe, maybe it got us to be closer with our partner. Maybe we became sick due to some karma from previous incarnation, so we can learn the meaning of allowing ourselves others to take care of us, or what it means to have that particular disease. Maybe we have agreed to a physical limitation prior to our incarnation as a way to force ourselves to walk through a very specific journey. In other words, the reason for the disease can be a response to our physical actions within the incarnation, but can also be to an invoked emotion, to guide, to invoke emotion within us, to guide us on our journey, and so on. So what seems to be something which disables us can be a great enabler. For us to really know, we must see the big picture, which is always impossible when we are in the middle of the chaos and the suffering. And I'll give you an example of the big picture so that you can see what I mean. Here's an excerpt from a TED Talk, an inspiring story by a, a woman named Amy Purdy, a young snowboarder who got sick with bacterial meningitis. And I'll give you snippets real quick, which will walk you through the entire story. Here's Amy describing the disease and the impact it had on her. Over the course of two and a half months, I lost my spleen, my kidneys, the hearing in my left ear, and both of my legs below the knee. When my parents wheeled me out of the hospital, I felt like I had been pieced back together like a patchwork doll. I can't even imagine the suffering of a young woman who was subjected to such a trauma. Next, you're going to hear the ego dissolution phase and then the rebuild, the reborn individual, the phoenix rising from the fire. That day, I went home, I crawled into bed, and this is what my life looked like for the next few months. Me passed out, escaping from reality with my legs resting by my side. I was absolutely, physically, and emotionally broken. But I knew that in order to move forward, I had to let go of the old Amy and learn to embrace the new Amy. And that is when it dawned on me that I didn't have to be five foot five anymore. I could be as tall as I wanted. <laughs> or as short as I wanted, depending on who I was dating. And if I snowboarded again, my feet aren't going to get cold. And best of all, I thought, I can make my feet the size of all the shoes that are on the sales rack. <laughs> and I did. So there were benefits here. <laughs> it was this moment that I asked myself that life-defining question. If my life were a book and I were the author, how would I want this story to go? And once we're transformed, we then start seeing the big picture. 
our path is then revealed. And here's Amy describing the aftermath of the transformation, which resulted from her disease. I started snowboarding, then I went back to work, then I went back to school, then in 2005 I co-founded a nonprofit organization for youth and young adults with physical disabilities so they could get involved with action sports. From there, I had the opportunity to go to South Africa, where I helped to put shoes on thousands of children's feet so they could attend school. And just this past February, I won two back-to-back -back World Cup gold medals. <laughs> Which made me the highest-ranked adaptive female snowboarder in the world. Eleven years ago, when I lost my legs, I had no idea what to expect. But if you ask me today if I would ever want to change my situation, I would have to say no. Because my legs haven't disabled me. If anything, they've enabled me. They've forced me to rely on my imagination and to believe in the possibilities. And that's why I believe that our imaginations can be used as tools for breaking through borders. Because in our minds, we can do anything. And we can be anything. It's believing in those dreams and facing our fears head on that allows us to live our lives beyond our limits. You can listen to the entire TED Talk using the link in the show notes. But to summarize, here's someone we can all agree suffered tremendously. After the bacterial meningitis took her legs, she struggled with depression, but beat it when she decided to accept her new reality, but not her new boundaries. Today, she is a world champion female adapted snowboarder and a bronze medalist at the 2014 uh, Suchi Paralympics. In 2005, she co-founded Adaptive Action Sports. It's a nonprofit dedicated to introducing people with physical challenges to action sports. This nonprofit would not exist without Emmy's sickness. And so we must able to see the big picture. Sometimes it can take a lifetime and sometimes more. One thing is certain. Whatever we are experiencing, it is related to our own personal journey, to our purpose. We can see it as a limiting barrier or as an enabling stepping stone to the next step in our personal evolution. The choice is always ours. wrap this episode without talking about yoga. It's an episode-worthy topic in itself, and I already have a great yoga teacher lined up to join us in the next few weeks. But for now, I just want to say this. The Western wisdom is heavily intellectual. Hebrew wisdom gives us a framework, a map for the spiritual journey and towards illumination. And while its implementation is always in practice, the actual Torah, the actual framework, is purely intellectual. There's a deep, rich body, of, rich body of knowledge behind the various pieces, and to truly embody and implement them in our lives, we must branch out of this knowledge and expand it both intellectually and experientially with other frameworks. Think of Hebrew wisdom as the instruction manual for the universe and of consciousness. An instruction manual for a car might tell you that you must service the engine if such and such failure happens, but it's not going to tell you exactly how to do it. It's just going to tell you that you've got to service the engine. It assumes someone will have the knowledge. The same goes here. The Book of Formation, for example, tells us without meditation, we cannot complete our journey. It says it with one sentence and one sentence only. It says, and what it means, it's something like, 
Stop your heart from thinking, and if it runs away, bring it back. On this practice, there was a covenant agreed upon between the divine and humans. Now, not the Book of Formation, nor almost any Jewish book I run into, tells you how to meditate, at least not seriously. Now, the Buddhists, on the other hand, they got it down. They managed to break down the 50 different steps and states of the mind. They have a name for each one. They'll tell you exactly what is the quality, the requirements, the challenges to pass each gate. The gates, interestingly enough, are also described intellectually in the Zohar, but Buddhism will tell you how to actually get it done. Now, same goes for Hinduism. The Hindu tradition got the practices of the body down. They know of every one of the 72,000 invisible energy connections called nadis, how they work, and what one must do in order to open them. The tree of life metaphorically depicts the same high-level energy connections via the 22 lines connecting the spheres, but the Hindus will tell you what your big toe has to do with them. The tree of life will tell you that you are made out of a feminine and masculine polarities depicted by the two outer columns, and that the energy is meant to go up the central column, which is unity. The Hindus will tell you how to physically open and move the energy via the Ida and the Pingala, which are the negative and positive channels, so that you can bring the Kundalini energy up the Shushumna, which is the central line. So as you see, Hebrew wisdom is somewhat of a general intellectual map, and it brings a lot to the table. In fact, it brings, it kind of connects the dots when it comes to the psycho-spiritual journey towards illumination. But when it comes to the deep dive into the bodies of knowledge, there is no avoiding, if you're serious about your transformation, there's no avoiding dipping into other areas, into other bodies of knowledge. We can learn something from every tradition, every uh, spiritual framework that is out there. I believe that there's a reason why so few people get illuminated. It's because we have failed to come together as people and join the Eastern and Western spiritual framework in an effort to bring a more holistic perspective of the process. There's a lot of ego on both sides. The Western religions often refuse to introduce the Eastern methodologies, claiming that they are blasphemy. And there's much pride in the East because uh, there's much pride in the East about yoga being the way. In reality, these two are two pieces of a puzzle. Yoga is amazing when it comes to transforming the mind and the body, but it is lacking greatly when it comes to the process of dissolving the ego personality and the high level macro process of enlightenment itself. The tree of life can provide those, but it's lacking detail when it comes to the actual experiential transformation of the body and the mind. When it comes to transforming the body as a tool for psycho-spiritual transformation, I highly recommend two of the eight limbs of yoga, specifically the asanas, which is the moving postures, and the pranayama, which are the breathing exercises. Now, various martial arts, so I hear, I've never practiced one, can provide the same benefits to the transformation of your body. But when it comes to yoga, there are many types of yoga. Find the one that is good for you. If you can't move much, do yin yoga. It's done on the floor and everyone can do it. It will prepare you over time to other types of yoga if so you choose. Yoga has been the central pillar in my physical transformation. Without it, I wouldn't be where I am today, both physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It has taught me how to connect with my body. It has healed me in many ways. The mat becomes a mirror. It reflects your life outside of it. You cannot have a good practice after drinking heavily the previous night. You can't have a focused practice when your mind is troubled. There is a glow in people people's eyes after a yoga practice. We call it the yoga glow. It's simply the light flowing through you after opening these energy channels. These poses you see 
or design beyond space and time to allow us to do this, to do this process. And regardless of your spiritual heritage, we are blessed to be able to enjoy it. It, it, is, the, it is the privilege and the heritage of all humans. Now that's it for today. We will have a whole episode dedicated to healing and many more dedicated to practices designed to change our bodies, such as cleansing, fasting, physical exercise, etc. Kabbalah is very specific as to which organs are the cause of which disease, and we will discuss those well as well in due time. This concludes the ninth episode of Kabbalistic Mystic. Today we discussed the body as a tool for transformation. First, simply as a mirror to our consciousness and a reflection of our ego personality projected into our mental awareness by the subconscious mind. We then discussed dis-ease and how it can be used as a catalyst for the progress in our journey. And lastly, we spoke about physical limitations we, we undergo, either from birth or after due to injury or disease, and how they can relate to our journey and our purpose. I want to remind you that iTunes reviews are very important as they sustain, sustain this show. I also want to remind you that you can submit questions to be answered on the show via the website www.kabbalisticmystic.com I thank you for listening. Today we heard music by Moksha. I am Ovadia Batat from Spokane, Washington, wishing you love in every moment. Mm-hmm.